The International IVF Initiative is a worldwide non-profit education project for the assisted reproductive technologies community, sharing scientific and practical knowledge for embryologists, reproductive scientists and anyone working in the ART community. Each episode will share an insight into the world of IVF, along with profiles of legends within the world of ART, latest news and wisdom from our community. Here's your host, Giles Palmer. Welcome to episode four of the International IVF Initiative podcast. And today we're going to go behind the scenes to hear a little bit more about what goes on. So you'll be hearing from one of the after parties we had after an I3 webinar. We wanted to share this with you because our panelists often get together in our debrief meetings and we reflect on the session. So we thought it was very nice after the webinar, which was about cry governance. So in this episode, you'll hear from Kimball Pomeroy and Matthew Tomlinson. Uh, we also had Mitch Shiwi as well and the lawyer Colleen Quinn. We were joined also for the party with Peter Naj, Thomas Elliott, Jacques and myself, who commented on the general state of affairs with cryo governance in IVF. On these abandoned embryos, you know, how do we best handle that? Can't yeah, contact patients. I wanted I mean, that question to be answered also, yeah, I mean, but I knew it was going to go on and on on that one. That's right. Yeah, I mean, our, our current consents, right, we're, we've learned from our experience. We can put certain things into current consents now to account for that, but 10 years ago, we didn't. That's kind of so what do you do for future patients, Mitch? You're saying you're actually actually providing we, something in your consent form where you say if you abandon your ambios, which is pretty frequent. Yeah. We currently suggest that they will be notified at least three times by registered mailing. And if they don't stay in touch with the clinic and they don't respond to the, the discard mailings, then the property will become that of the clinic to dispose of uh, as a medical in a medical manner but is that what you do do you do you yeah. uh, we, oh, we, yeah, have, we have to follow we, through then we have to follow through right? yeah you have to follow through yeah absolutely yeah. okay but it's i i think you know what happened in the uk that's that's the safest solution that uh, i think the uk government uh, brought a law saying that any any embryos that has been stored longer than i don't know 10 years uh, without contact they can be destroyed so I think basically. they have to. I think they have to be destroyed. Yeah, um, after well, being stored for ten years. It all depends on which legislation. There was a change in the legislation. They make it very clear that you shouldn't bill people the same as their years for consent. They want that to be completely two separate things. You know, obviously, you cannot store past their date of consent. And that's a criminal offense in the UK. The reason I'm saying that is because, for instance, here in the US, I heard about that these two big cases where the cryotanks uh, had the problem, there were some abundant samples. And actually, when the patients, some of those that heard about that uh, something happened with the embryos or with the tank, they joined uh, oh. the lawsuit uh, to get money out of it, even though that they have already abundant the embryos. So... Oh, that's America. That's right. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. the other thing I, I was kind of uh, wondering that, you know, when there is an airplane accident and, you know, the passengers, they die, you know, what, what is the compensation that, uh, you know, they, they provide? The reason I'm thinking about that is because in that case, it's very clear that you have a person, a person who lost the life 
and has all the emotional situation in the family uh, that is surrounding it. So to some extent, it may be comparable when you when you lose an embryo, you know, to an accident. So with the embryo, of course, the difference is that, you know, even with the best quality embryo, you have a maximum 50% chance that it becomes a, a baby or a person. You know, I'm just wondering, I don't know, Colleen, if, if you have any, any information about that and, you know, as a as a legal expert, what, what are your thoughts? Is the two things comparable? Is it something that we can learn from one or the other? Well, I mean, except for a couple of states, all the states view embryos and gametes as property under the law. However, what we learned from the, the San Francisco case is that many people view this as special property, quasi-life, potential life, while embryos are not human beings, eggs are not human beings. Many people, especially on the more spiritual, religious side, view them as potential life and quasi-life. And so they, what we learned from that case was that they put a pretty high value on these, these items, um, about as high as you would in a wrongful death from an airplane case. Because what I heard, and that, I don't know if it's correct, that when there is a life lost during an airplane accident, I think typically is just a couple of hundred thousand dollars that is is offered to to the family, and you know it just seems to be somewhat disproportional. You know when when you have a person, let's say, imagine a, a eighteen years old child, seventeen years old child who who lost the life, and and then how does it compare to an embryo that you know may never become. Uh, you know, an 18 years old child, and you know all the all the all the emotions cost. Uh, you know, to to educate someone to arrive to the 18 years old, and you know, you you get a couple of hundred thousand versus an embryo that may never implant, and you get a million or two million for it. You know, the the class action lawsuit only involved three single persons and one couple, whereas there are more than a hundred couples or single people involved in the total loss who were not organized in the class action lawsuit. If they are no, now hiring a lawyer, which of course they all have done already, then they're saying, oh, here is the president. And I think then Peter's point becomes even more obvious because then we're approaching half a billion dollars in damages because it's per embryo. And so it could well go over half a billion in dollar, dollars in damages. So I think, I think it's, it's totally out of whack because even if you then take 10% for Pacific fertility, which I don't frankly understand, have, have, know, know just a little bit about the process that happened there. It seems to be completely unfair and arbitrary. Um, that will be a tremendous um, um, pressure on the clinic to come up with those funds because it, it must be way over their, their insurance limit. So I think this is really very serious. That particular class action lawsuit but puts it all in different perspective. So is there a chance of, I mean, so, Chart will probably it will be over the limit of what chart can you know in the insurance limit. So this this puts pressure on a company like chart. How how is this going to happen in small small clinics like Pacific Fertility? They get, they won't be able to afford these kind of damages. But here, what we had was a race to the courthouse by the initial plaintiffs, and so. Yeah, those first plaintiffs, if they get those big verdicts, they are gobbling up a good chunk of the what's available for the plaintiffs that come behind them. A more orderly way would have been, you know, to have, um, I mean, we, there's all different types of class actions that are have been out there. Um, and a more orderly way would to have 
have everybody opt into a class action and then you would know how to divide up the pie a little bit more evenly. Yeah, you know, all this, what all this will do is just drive up the cost for patients. That's all this is gonna do. It will drive up the cost of insurance um, for our insurance and clinics that we have, that we're involved in and everybody else. It will drive those costs up to incredible levels. As a practicing embryologist, you know, some of, some of the questions that come up now, uh, you know, after these lawsuits is that, you know, what happens when a frozen embryo does not survive, you know, can that become a liability, you know, for the clinic? How do you prove it that it happened because the embryo was not adequate, you know, or how do you prove it that it's not because the cryotank that you kept it, it was not in a good condition, you know? What happens if an embryo, you know, after an egg's fertilizing and the embryo stops developing, you know? Have you used the most optimal condition? I'm, I'm just a little bit scared, you know, well, yeah, with yeah. All, all honesty. <laughs> Well, you know, we keep having these personhood bills pop up, you know, where an embryo... That, that, that's even worse. That's even and, worse. And, you you, and drop, you drop, that, a dish, right. you drop a dish and then you kill five persons. Yeah, they're like, are we, is that manslaughter when, you know, we go to thaw yeah. the embryo and it doesn't make it? But I, I know a number of clinics that um, will photograph and videotape the actual, how the embryo looks before the thaw and then the thawing process to protect themselves from liability to show that, that everything was done properly in case the patient says hey you you destroyed um you know you didn't properly you didn't do it properly taking very careful detailed notes with regard to the thawing process yeah we've all had our horror stories with uh thawing outside devices and these problems and uh managing embryo viability i did get to the point where we I, I take my iPhone out if it's a questionable case, if it's a reoccurring case. I don't let my embryologist thaw anything unless I'm documenting it on film, the way they handle, the way they do it. And I've seen uh, device failures. Uh, there are straws that were sealed inappropriately and leaking directly into the thaw bath, directly into a water bath. You know, so it's, it's scary. Right. Well, you, get a lot, you get a lot of cross-pointing because I've had cases where the clients are blaming the egg bank for having shipped bad eggs. And then they're, the egg bank saying, no, it was the embryologist, you know, when they went to fertilize the egg, they screwed yep. it up. Now sure. you do see a lot of folks, yeah, pulling out their iPhones. and, and well, getting, getting yeah, exactly. A lot of like finger pointing. That's the thing. Finger yeah. pointing. Because, yeah. you know, because... There's literally no sort of chain of custody once they leave. And, and we had a session on this, you know, about how samples are transferred. And we really don't know. And in COVID times, the space is of a premium. So we don't know what's happening with the couriers, however expensive they are. But you're always going to get this finger pointing. But it's amazing how many samples are whizzing around from clinic to clinic now. You know, it's so time consuming. There's a lot of samples going from clinic A to clinic B. And, and also using different media as well. And there's no way to determine why an embryo or an egg is missing. I deal with that every day. We give free eggs away because people don't find an egg on a device. And of course, the IVF clinics point their fingers at us and say, you didn't load these uh, devices. Well, we don't have a cryoscope that we can go ahead and take pictures when we load them. But we do take pictures of every group before we load them. And we use a technique that makes sure we see every embryo on the device. But you can't go and blame them really. Although we're doing some research tomorrow to see if we can knock off eggs off of uh, vitrification devices.
And I think that's where the problem is because when we ship these out, I would guess 1% of the eggs are not found. Yeah. And I've been right. training someone where we are looking for them. And the person in front of me says, not, uh, there's only one egg on here. And I say, no, there's two that were put on there. Look some more. And they say, no, it's not here. And I look in their dish. It's not there. It's in their pipette, their yeah. glass pipette that they're using. So, I mean, there's enough blame that can go everywhere, but there's no way to prove anyone. So I hope you enjoyed hearing, you know, our discussion of what goes on behind the scenes. Obviously, cryo-governance is incredibly important to us. On many times on i3, we've spoken about cryo-governance, and it's a conversation which hasn't ended yet. So we'd really, really like to hear from you. You can find the webinars on our show notes. There'll be links that we'll put there so you can follow that conversation. If you have any concerns or any questions which arise from this or any other podcast, then please contact us via email on contact at ivfmeeting.com we'd love to hear from you and we'd love the conversation to continue finally one more thing why not leave a review on apple podcasts and go on be generous and leave us five stars thank you as always for listening be sure to visit ivfmeeting.com where you can watch our back catalogue of webinars plus you can sign up for future ones download our electronic membership card and find all our social media so we can stay in touch